Welcome. This is Deep Background, the podcast of the Kansas City Stars Newsroom. I'm Scott Cannon, a reporter. I'm joined by uh, two political obsessives today, Brian <laughs> Lowry from the news staff and Dave Helling from the editorial board. How are you doing, guys? Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to talk about Sam Brownback. Yes, the, the <laughs> man who was and will be. So moving on from the state of Kansas leaves behind quite a legacy. Yeah, yeah. Um, First, I guess we should just tell people if if you if you made the horrendous mistake of not reading the Kansas City Star last week, it's always a mistake, but it was particularly a mistake last week. Uh, you may have missed that Sam Brownback has been uh, appointed as the next ambassador at large for international religious freedom. Now he still has to go through the Senate confirmation process, so he'll still be with us for the next few months, but. You got to figure that Brownback, who who spent you know more than a decade in the U.S. Senate, is going to pretty much cruise uh, to confirmation. You know, there's a lot of old friends of his in that chamber. Uh, this is a job that was created in 1998. It serves as the United States' main advocate uh, for oppressed religious minorities worldwide. It's a pretty obscure position. Um, that when I talked to Clay Barker, the executive director of the Kansas Republican Party back in May about the possibility that Brownback could get this job. He told me he had to look it up on Wikipedia to make sure it was real. Uh, I talked to one of the guys who used to work in this office who told me that there's even members of Congress who don't know this position exists. But religious advocates are really hopeful that by picking Brownback and making an appointment in the first year, because this is usually one of those positions that sits around for a year or two, before the president gets around, that this shows that the Trump administration is going to prioritize that, that this position will be at the center of foreign policy, and that maybe, you know, Brownback will just bring a bit more attention to this issue than some of the previous ambassadors. Right, and then he really is sort of an ideal pick for this. This is it's been his passion for years, going well back into his time in the Senate. That he's not only a deeply religious man, right. a converted Catholic. But a guy who has paid attention to these issues for a long time. He's, he's had an interest oh, in the Sudan. For right. And, and was well known in the Senate mm-hmm. for yeah. those things and is well known, of course, nationally for that. And indeed, his religiosity was at the core of his runs for president. He, he had the family council and some other people supporting him. The interesting oh, thing yeah. to me is, did Sam Brownback seek this job? Did right. he want out? Did he... Was he finished in Topeka? Did he think this is what I need to do now? Or was this a sense of the Trump administration reaching out saying, we've got nobody else in America for this job, Sam, you've right. got it. And there's a way in which Sam, on that point, there's a way in which Sam Brownback is a little bit of an atypical pick. Most of the people who've held this position were religious leaders. Uh, his predecessor, uh, David Saperstein, was a, is a rabbi, an attorney. Brownback's one of the first people who comes from a more political background uh, to get offered this job. Uh, there is a, We know that Brownback was in communication with the Trump administration for months. He had been rumored for a couple different jobs, uh, even Secretary of Agriculture at one point right after the right. election, and we know he had some meetings for that. We, we should the, be clear that he was not, Brownback was not a big Trump guy. I no, mean, it wasn't he, he was on yeah, the Trump he, train he came, early he came or whatever. To Trump very Pretty late. begrudgingly, but when he came, he did fully commit, no and question. he served on Trump's Catholic Advisory uh, Committee and also his Agriculture Advisory Committee. 
he's been having discussions about this position since at least as early as May. And there is a sense that Brownback was really pushing for a job and that Vice President Pence, who is a good friend of Sam Brownback, right. was really his big advocate within the administration. And he was pushing for a job. a job. Why? Because he wanted out? Because he was finished in Kansas? Because if that's true, that's an amazing end to what is one of the more unique Right. Careers in Kansas for for, for some perspective, it kind of a you know, <laughs> the Kansas budget which Sam Brownback has managed. Although there will be some people who disagree with maybe the use right. of that verb managed uh, for the past six years is a fifteen billion dollar budget. When you include all the funds, including federal aid, it's about fifteen billion. This office has a six million dollar budget. So in terms of resources, in terms of responsibility, this is a much more narrow. Right. Position. It's a little bit odd for someone to give up being a governor to take a position like this. It's not quite equivalent as uh, the governor of Iowa giving up his position to serve as ambassador to China. Right. Um, I, I think there is a sense from some people in Kansas politics that Brownback, who had you know just saw uh, about a little more than a month ago his signature policy dismantled by the Kansas legislature, who had seen his popularity wane, who had seen. A lot of his closest allies lose their legislative seats. He was ready to move on, and the state of Kansas was ready to move right. on. And he only uh, had one year left, assuming he takes office into this year, early next. He's really only got a year left as right. governor which anyway. He would have been a lame duck. I right, mean, in which with actually accomplishing a lot was going to be very difficult, particularly in an election year. So for all of those reasons, he may have, he may have pondered this. But, it, boy, I mean, at one point, Sam Brownback was— not seriously considered for president, but was in the conversation. Sure. And and to, for his career to end in this way is is a fascinating arc, uh, you know, from a guy who started in the mid-90s to today. Yeah, his career as an elected official. I, I you know, from what I know of the governor, I, I don't think he would agree with the term the end of his career. This is because this is something that he really believes right. in. But let's talk a little bit. It, in his time in, as governor of Kansas, he was in really one of the most consequential governors right. uh, no for the last several yeah. decades. Without question. Let's, let's, let's Arguably us. the most consequential right. uh, governor in at least since World War II in the state of Kansas. I mean, let's let's just we'll back it up for a second. Sam Brownback fundamentally remade the tax system in Kansas, but he he did a lot more than just that. And even though a lot of his tax uh, changes have gone away. There's a lot going to be still on the, the law books uh, to remind you that Sam Brownback was here. Uh, remade the welfare system, uh, you know, enacted some of the strictest um, work requirements and other welfare requirements in the country, privatized the Medicaid system, completely remade it. Uh, dismantled the 20-year-old uh, school finance formula. Now, what the legislature ended up putting back together this year is pretty darn similar to what... Uh, to what had been there before. But, you know, this guy made change, big changes to education, to taxes, to Medicaid, to welfare. And then you go through the social issues. Uh, Kansas uh, passed, you know, all several new abortion restrictions, including some which are still pending in court. Uh, loosened its gun laws, has some of the loosest gun laws in the country, including the fact that uh, Kansas universities had to open their doors uh, to concealed firearms uh, earlier this, or actually last month, now that we are officially in August. Um, there's a lot of Sam Brownback that will still be there on uh, the books. 
the taxes were really, you know, just one of many big changes that he made. But because that was the one that he really staked his reputation on, that's the one that just kind of that feels like that was the policy uh, that defined his career. Now, he pushed back on that at his presser the other week and said that abortion was actually the most important issue to him as governor, not uh, taxes. Uh, I I was just going to say, though, for all the consequence that Sam Brownback has clearly had, he, he has not been a, 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 a complete success. I mean, you have, right. to, you have to separate consequence from success because on all the things you mentioned, Brian, at least in sort of economic classic policy terms, the verdict is very much out. I mean, clearly on the tax cuts, we, we've been through that on this podcast and other places. But the school finance thing remains up in the air before the Supreme Court. Medicaid privatization, the, the, the feds are angry about the way it's been done. And right. the, patients complain about a lack of access so that the jury is clearly out on can care. Um, you, you just go down the list and, and there's a reason why he is so unpopular in my mind that goes beyond just the failure of the well, tax if, if things were going really well, I don't think you would have seen leaving. him. Yeah, take this position. I mean, if, if that's my it, point, you, you know, if things had been going really well, you wouldn't have seen the change that you saw in the legislature this past election, and you wouldn't see the governor uh, really trying to get out as as soon as possible. I mean, this has been in t- conversations with people in Washington and people in Topeka. I mean, this has been many months coming. Um, right, right. You know, it's interesting that that, a, that it's not unusual that someone after getting elected becomes highly unpopular. It does seem highly unusual that someone so shortly after getting reelected became so highly unpopular. Right. Well, now, he did draw, you know, he only won by, I think, four points in his reelection bid, which in Kansas is a stunning thing, particularly for a guy like Sam Brownback, who's been a part of politics. For well, why do you say it's so couple. stunning? I mean, we, his predecessors were Democrats. Right. But he, he had won his first election by more than 30 points. Right. So you see, this is a guy who came in with more than 60 percent of the vote. Huge mandate. And then never uh, lost an election. And then just over time, you know, you you saw him just gradually uh, lose that support to the point that the 2014 race was a real squeaker. Um, I I mean, one thing I I think to think about here is, you know, is is just the fact that Sam Brownback became unpopular for keeping his campaign promises. I think that's the thing that people forget now. What the results of those policies might be, like the shot of adrenaline, um, certainly there's not evidence that the Kansas economy had the type of growth that Brownback had promised it would have. Right, right. The, the, just to, the, the idea that if you cut taxes dramatically that the economy right. will take off in a supply-side way. But this is a guy who promised people that he was going to cut their income taxes. This is a guy who promised that he was going to keep this business exemption, who promised that he was going to do these things to all these uh, social programs. The backlash is because he did what he said he was going to do. Well, I think do. it's a little more complicated than that because the tax bill uh, particularly was not really what he wanted either. I mean, it was you know, it was part well, of the... It, yeah. Right, he signed it, but it wasn't the bill that he had in mind out of the gate. I think what the, the fundamental story about Sam Brownback for me is, A, he's the most stubborn politician I've ever met. I mean, I just, I've never seen a guy so less willing, or gal, less willing to sort of admit that things aren't going exactly as planned and we need to make a bit of a mid-course correction. He just is not the kind of guy to do that. But but the other thing that's interesting to me about, about Sam Brownback is I think he misread Kansas conservatism. I, I think that 
he saw it as sort of a Tea Party, tax-cutting, regulatory, you know. And remember the 2009-2010 anti-Obama environments in which he left the Senate to run for governor? Kansas conservatism is a different kind of conservatism. It's much more... Uh, insular, pay your bills, do what's right. You know, it's country we, club without the country club. Well, it's not quite country club. It's very much rural. It's a rural. It's an idea that we want our schools to be, you know, in good shape. We want our football team to win. We want self reliance. But but it it. it fundamentally believes in paying your bills, avoiding debt. The worst thing that ever happened to Sam Brownback was when the credit of Kansas was downgraded. Right. I mean, that that is just that just screams at the people of Kansas that you are mismanaging the farm. Well, arguably, and I think uh, that was Brownback's Arguably problem. on the financial issues, Brownback would have actually helped himself if he had made deeper cuts right away. Um, in spending. Certainly when he made the tax cuts, and then the first time the state faced a budget shortfall uh, towards the end of 2014. Brownback has always been very reluctant to make the deep budget cuts. The the cuts, the sweeps that were made were usually measures to get the state right. through the next six months because he really didn't he really didn't want his name associated with the real draconian right. cuts. But that meant that you had for two straight years just this ever-present budget crisis where you would do either a tax increase or budget cuts or some combination of, right. and then six months, we had to do it all over again. And so that's kind of, I mean, if he had actually really gotten out the machete and made deeper cuts and just committed to that or, you know, really adjusted his, his tax plan, he was, may have had a better right. shot at avoiding that. But the whole argument on the tax plan is we don't have to cut spending. I mean, that's lost today. But at the time, the argument was we'll cut taxes, we'll get more revenue because of new jobs and economic growth in the state. The pro-growth tax cuts, that's the whole idea behind the Brownback approach and, for that matter, the current approach from Donald Trump. When that clearly was not happening, rather than adjust his approach to, to taxes and revenue, he, he sort of doubled down. Now, he did get pushed back in the package that passed in 2015, mm-hmm. um, which, again, he didn't seem to be, at least to me, a major part of that discussion. He was just I, there I, going, you got to do be, something. Being the guy trouble. who was there in the trenches, I disagree with that. Yeah. You would have had a very different tax bill that would have passed in 2015 if Brownback hadn't actively torpedoed uh, some of the provisions that would have rolled back portions of the 2012 plan. Right, but he, did uh, he want anything at all, Brian? I mean, do you no, he, get the he, sense he the, needed— The plan that they passed in 2015 was, kind of what he was passed to satisfy Sam Brown. S- sales taxes went I mean, he didn't want to increase taxes, but those were the taxes, the sales taxes, as opposed to income tax that he right, wanted. Right. I mean, that was a plan— Designed for his signature after his administration became very involved. But don't you? Do you maybe maybe you disagree with this? But I think for all the aggression we we saw from Brownback as governor, he seemed at times remarkably passive to me. That is fair. That is fair. I mean, he he did he did, and sort of say, "You guys fix it." What he he would often (laughs) do is take a hands off approach. to the legislative process, and he would say, you know, I was a legislator, and, you know, I, that, I, like, he would right. point to the separation of powers argument, but then when it became, but then he had no hesitation about using his veto pen. Right, or And that say, was, that led to, I think, a lot of tension with lawmakers down yep. the line, which they really want, Governor, give us some guidance. Give yes. us some guidance about what we can do 
like that get let's get on the same page. And I think that's one reason why you know there was a lot of tension this year with lawmakers, but that was that built up yeah, over yeah. several years. I guess the best, the easiest way to say it, Scott, is is. Sam Brownback w- w- would tell the le- legislature what he didn't want, but was not as helpful in telling them what he did want, and that left them a little confused at times. Very Trump-like, I must say. You know, the idea that I, you know, give me a plan. No, I don't like that. Try again. Give me a plan. No, I don't like that. Try again. Well, and you, that can lead to legislative frustration. I, I, I don't think there's. I argue maybe there's not a great parallel with Trump, though, in the sense that. Brownback was a man of strong ideology, is a man of strong ideology, whereas the, our president is more a man of personality. And that, that what's remarkable with, <clears throat> excuse me, with Brownback was that his popularity fell, <clears throat> excuse me, because of, of because of his policies and how they worked out and not how they did, not because of anything. You know, Scandal this isn't Chris, this isn't Chris Christie. Um, right. This isn't some loudmouth guy. Brownback also doesn't run his own Twitter account. That's another difference with right. Trump. Right. <laughs> and he was, and he was, you know, free, you know, as is sort of the tradition in Kansas, right. relative to other states, relatively free of scandal of any, and you Without know, no scandal of any particular. And also magnitude. on the plus side, he tended to be fairly available to the public and reporters. He didn't hide a lot, there, not there, in the way that Eric Greitens. There's does a big do, difference between say Brownback and Greitens. Is you'll if you go to the Capitol in Topeka. You will see. You will likely, and if if you went there today, you would likely see this. Still, is you will see Sam Brownback walking around. Uh, he'll say hi to lawmakers. He'll begrudgingly take a few questions from reporters. He'll first chide you a little bit about how much he hates the editorials <laughs> from the Star. Or uh, <laughs> thanks, Dave. <laughs> yeah, we, we've been down that road. Um, or he'll, you know, he'll 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 tease you a little bit about something, but he'll take some questions. But you'll see him interact with tourists, and you'll see him. That's not something that you're going to see if you go to Jefferson right. City. Right. The other thing, uh, I, I I do agree with you uh, that there is another difference uh, between uh, Brownback and Trump, and and that is that. You know, Sam Brownback, no one ever, no one ever, to my knowledge, questions his sincerity or good faith, his sincerity or good faith in, in, in the way he approached policy. I mean, nobody thought it was cynical or, or based on some nefarious scheme. There was a little bit of, hey, you're running for president. But beyond that, people believed that Sam Brownback believed what he was doing, uh, sincerely believed it. It just didn't work, and he was unable then to move off the dime when it didn't work until the end when he, he just said, he, I need another job, I need to get out. And he would argue that a lot of that was there were issues beyond his control, energy right. prices. Right, and I would give him that if he had only said that at right. the time, if he just said, we're going to do this, but there are things beyond. But he was absolutely certain this would work. Without, uh, you know, and you'd say, yeah. Governor, give yourself a little bit of wiggle room. Wouldn't take. Dave, he was still he was still absolutely certain last week. Right. He was still right. defiant about that. He, he ultimately believes that other states will follow this model and that it, he will be vindicated in the end. That was that was a very clear message in what I don't think was necessarily his farewell press conference, but, but had undertones of that because it was his first it was his first press conference since the announcement. You know, uh, he was very emotional. I, you could you could definitely see how the governor was conflicted. He's very excited about taking right. on this role that deals with an issue that he's passionate about. But he's he's gonna he's gonna miss Kansas. I've, I've, he, his voice was cracking throughout. He was teary eyed. It it was it was an emotional it was an emotional scene. And I will say, as someone who covered him f- 
for uh, four years, it's going to be very strange just for my life when right. he leaves. I mean, when you cover someone that long and that thoroughly, they become a significant uh, part of your life. Right. Um, it, and, and moving on, so now we have a, a governor's race in earnest, yeah. right? Uh, Chris Kobach certainly would be at the front of the pack, but the next governor, Jeff Collier, also is going to be right. a formidable force. How, how do you all see this playing out? Who who carries the the, the Brownback legacy or baggage with them? Who you know? So it, it's absolutely fascinating. Where you Brownback leaving, you you could argue uh, that Brownback was the most dominant force in the Kansas Republican Party post Bob Dole, right? You know, senator, governor. Brownback was the face of the Kansas Republican Party. And the Brownback political machine was one of the most effective political operations in Kansas ever. Until 2016. Uh, until right. 2016, <laughs> but they did pretty well before that. Yes, extraordinary. Uh, um, so I, I think Collier stands to inherit that machine. Now, Collier's not officially declared yet, but Collier is also going to be the one most closely associated with Brownback. Kobach was even pointing that out. Kobach, who who himself will be closely associated, you know, a, a lot of uh, Democrats are calling him Brownback on steroids. Uh, Kobach will be able to kind of distance himself a little bit from Brownback if Collier is is in the race. Collier is going to have a very short period of time to establish himself as his own man, as his own governor. And there is a general sense from lawmakers that he will be more malleable than Brownback. He will be more open to compromise. He has very subtly, you know, over the past year, been working to really build relationships with uh, lawmakers from across the political factions. Um, re- he's, he, To be honest, he's, he's tried to, I think, improve relationships with the media, which were never Sam Brownback's strong suit. Um, I think Collier is very conscious, and, and you're going to see a lot of staff changes. A lot of uh, a lot of Brownback staffers are taking new jobs or they're on their way out. You know that Collier's coming in with a new team. The question is, does he have enough time? Like, does he actually have enough time to get some political wins in order to be competitive against Chris Kobach in the primary, who's going to come in? with a national profile fixture on cable news, likely the president of the United States will be tweeting messages in support of him. And does he have, you know, will he have the ability to compete with a a Democrat in the general election who can just say, you're Sam Brownback's lieutenant governor? So Collier faces an uphill challenge, but you do see him and Kobach and a few others now competing. Who gets to actually be the standard bearer of the Kansas Republican right. Party? But Dave, he'll he'll be sort of introduced to most people in Kansas when he becomes governor. I'm, I'm guessing you stop oh, 10 people true. on the street and ask them who Jeff Collier is. They'll say, uh, I don't know. Right, and so his job in the next year, once he takes the job, is to make himself better known. Everybody knows Chris Kobach. He has no problems with recognition in the state. We should note that the field might expand beyond oh, Chris Kobach. You, you already have Ed a few O'Malley, others. Ed O'Malley, Wink Hartman, some other people. Uh, Sue Wagle, Jim Barnett, making, Jim is, Barnett is, is in. The in. Party's so so the, it'll be six-dimensional, seven-dimensional chess. To me, the most fascinating and unknown uh, decision point next year will be how unpopular Sam Brownback still is in the state once he's gone is you know it, it will he be a drag on whoever Brownback 2 is is he a you know if you can make the case that which I think you can frankly that Chris Kobach is Sam Brownback 
as we said in an editorial with a little xenophobia and voter suppression thrown in, um, d does Collier feel the need to separate himself from Brownback somehow? And on what issue might he do that? We suggested Medicaid. There might be other places for that to happen. The corrections department in the state of Kansas is in some state of crisis now. I think we know that. The next governor, Governor Collier, is going to have to address that. Maybe that's a place where he can say, hey, I'm different from Brownback. I get things done. Mental health is an issue in the state at the two state hospitals. That remains under pressure. And then the budget itself you know, whatever the state Supreme Court says, which we still don't know, the budget itself is not completely fixed. It's still, there's still some one-time transfers and stuff. So 2018 will be a challenge in that way. He will have, Collier, many opportunities to separate himself from Sam Brownback. The question is, which again, I think is unanswered, is will he want to do it? And can, does he feel the need to do it to compete I against I can make Brownback? you one guarantee. Jeff Collier will not expand Medicaid. The only way that yeah. happens is if the legislature does it or an over, with a veto-proof majority. Jeff Brownback has really deferred to Jeff Collier on Medicaid. On, on, on Medicaid and just health policy overall. Uh, that's been the part of the administration where he's had the most active role. He's one of the main architects of CanCare. He's been one of the leading voices in the administration against Medicaid expansion. I actually think that was a question that people were asking me as soon as the news right. broke. They were they were tweeting questions at me like, does this mean Kansas will expand Medicaid? I think it gets tougher now. I think Brownback, you actually did have some glimmer of he might, you might be able to persuade him at it at some. Collier, you're not going to persuade him on that. Uh, and if would, I think that's true, if right. that's true, but you then may he, see, he yeah. let me just say, I, I think if that's true, then he will be giving us signs that he's more interested in policy than running for office because the tea leaves are, or whatever metaphor we want to use, in favor of Medicaid expansion are blowing all toward mm -hmm. that decision. You almost had an override. Obamacare remains in place for now, so it's not quite the wedge issue that it might have been even two or, or four years ago. If he remains adamant on Medicaid, then I do think he is staking out a position that he's competing against Kobach and wants to be seen as Brownback 3 as opposed but, to the other. But you may boy. see him be much more willing to compromise on issues like school finance, the budget, the state's finances. Uh, Collier has not staked out as clear uh, positions there. It's tough, though. I mean, you can't run to the right of Chris Kobach. Right. And then if he, moves to the, if he moves to the center, you know, I've been told by moderates, a lot of moderates are going to view him with some suspicion because he... He's part of the Brownback administration, and right. uh, I think it's been well documented. Brownback but, didn't but, exactly but, get along with the moderate. But wing Scott, of the party. what do you give us your views? What, do, do you think Brownback is a lodestone for whoever wins the nomination next year on the Republican side, so, or a year away from Brownback? Does everybody in Kansas sort of say, "New day, new dawn"? Well, okay. the question I have, I, I think, uh, I think Brownback almost has to fade in the sort of zeitgeist of the Kansas electorate. I, I wonder if the question is uh, for Kobach is how much is he seen not just as, you know, as you say, a brownback on steroids, but a younger version of Donald Trump. He you know, he, he'll be, Trump. he'll be, you yeah. know, the, right. the news will be getting uh, the way Chris Kobach is making headlines now and will for the next six months, year or so be on this uh, you know, voting fraud commission that the White House has set up. And that's where a lot of people will associate with him. Trump at the moment is not very popular. Now, he, he did very well in Kansas, right. but um, I, I think it's safe. It would be wise of Kobach to worry 
how popular will Trump be in Kansas come 2018? Right, and, and remember, it, while Trump beat Hillary Clinton, he lost dramatically to Ted Cruz in the caucuses in Kansas, so mainstream Republicans are not that enamored of Donald Trump. But but for my, uh, in my view, Democrats' argument, their only argument in 2018 for governor is going to be, we spent eight years digging ourselves a hole under Sam Brownback, Do we, and now we're just getting out of that hole. Do you want to go right back in it by electing X? Right. And so the question is, is X going to be able to say, I'm not Brownback, or is X going to say, I am Brownback, and that's well, a good I, thing? I guess that's the, the argument that, 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 that might enthuse Democrats is we don't have one boogeyman to run against. We've got— Two or if it's Kobach, three. We've got Trump. Right. We've got Brown. Brownback and, 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 and maybe Kobach. I, I think if you are a Kansas Democrat, though, you need to be a little bit depressed that Sam Brownback is leaving. Sam Brownback was one of the greatest fundraisers ever for Kansas Democrats, um, and I, I think you know one thing that they're gonna they're gonna have to move. They're gonna have to evolve their messaging. Uh, a lot of the Kansas Democratic Party's messaging. Uh, the past few years has been Sam Brownback is bad. Now, it did not work in 2014. Uh, it worked a little bit better in 2016, and they had a bit more substance to go with that as well in 2016. Um, yeah, but, but, you, but just so, so we're clear, if you're a Johnson County Republican, which is a large part of the ball game, and Chris Kobach is the nominee, after going through what the state has gone through, it's going to be a hard... Uh, and remember, Kobach ran in the third district and was beaten soundly by Dennis Moore, and and, and Hillary Clinton carried the third district. So, y you you've got you know whoever the nominee is for the Republican side for governor has to make a decision as to whether there's any reach out to the more moderate Republicans in this neck of the woods, and that involves a fundamental decision. Do I like what Sam Brownback did or do I not like him? And that will be the only question that will matter in my view in 2018. Fair enough. But I think Kansas Democrats, if they oh, want to win the governor's office, they, have to they win need more of a message oh, I agree. than Sam Brownback then is bad Sam or Brownback. Chris Kobach is bad. They need a message of here's what we are going to do I agree for the that. state of Kansas. And that's particularly important to win over those moderate Republicans because yep. you always risk that if it's Chris yeah, Kobach versus a Democrat, some of the moderates might just stay home. Isn't that a pretty easy message? We're going to fund your schools. I mean, which, Right, or we're out of the mess we're in. Now let's go back and look at schools. We've got to fix I, the I prisons. We've got to build the roads. One of the lessons of the 2014 election is you need more than just schools. Paul Davis ran a campaign that was laser-focused on Johnson County, and that's a message that wins in Johnson County but doesn't necessarily get all of the voters you need to get out in places like Wichita right, uh, and you know throughout the rest of the state you need you need to give a total package of here are the things that you're going to do other, schools is a big part of it but it's schools gets you schools schools gets you 40% 45% but if you want to break 50 you need a few more you need a clear vision on medicaid you need a clear vision on taxes you need you need yeah. you need a message on jobs, you need to kind of have a full right, platform. and you need a candidate, too, and let's yeah. just be clear there that they don't, the Democrats still have no candidate of the stature of a Chris Kobach or even Jeff Collier after he becomes governor. I mean, both will be better known than whoever the Democrats put up, and the Democrats, as is always the case in Kansas, don't really have a party infrastructure, a get-out-the-vote scheme. They don't really, they're just not very well organized. They rely on labor uh, which is iffy, the, you know, registering and turning out minorities, which can be a, a problem. 
particularly for the governor's race when there's not, it's not a presidential year. Uh, so the path is very narrow for the Democrats. I don't think anybody doubts that. But having said that, uh, I do think that Brownback is still a millstone for Republicans and will be in 2018. And the candidate who succeeds will be the one who is able to separate himself or herself from him now, successfully. Dave, tell us the truth. How sad is the Kansas City Star's editorial board that you won't have Sam Brown back to kick around anymore? Not, not really. You know, we... Uh, <laughs> that was a joke. I know, I know. You know, I wrote the editorial, the unforgettable Sam Brownback who ran the day he, he left. And let's give the man some due. And about a fourth of the editorial did. He's done a great job on water. He's really brought water to the forefront. And that, you know, we all, oh, well, water. <laughs> That's a huge issue in Kansas. Wind energy is improved. Uh, he hasn't had scandal. We've noted that. He just was a stubborn guy who absolutely believed what he believed in and wouldn't move. And that's been a problem for him. We, we wrote an editorial the other day which said that maybe the Supreme Court should pause a little bit on school financing, that maybe ordering another seven or $800 million annually it, it, you know, presents a problem that should. So I think, and the other thing to give Sam Brownback his due, and we really didn't talk about it here, is his Senate career was in many ways exemplary. He was a bit of an outsider in the Senate. He did do work on Sudan. He did do work on religious freedom and other things. And let's, you know, he could have been a senator for the rest of his life. Right. I mean, he could have stayed in the Senate and won with 65 percent until he was Pat Roberts age, you know, Pat, what, 84, whatever. And he didn't. He Because, he, again, nobody questions his good faith. He wanted to make a difference in his state, thought being governor would do it. He failed at that. But we and we should criticize that failure. But we should not think of him as a failed human. And, being. and there's a marked contrast when you talk to people who knew him in Washington versus people who knew him in Topeka. In Topeka, you will get bipartisan frustration with Brownback. You know, I can, I could pull, I could pull a conservative Republican to these microphones and get you a, a list right. of reasons why Sam Brownback fell short. And you don't just have to reach out to the Democrats and moderates to get that. But if you talk to people who knew him during his Senate career, uh, they have a lot of laudatory things to say, which is why you know a lot of people who care about that issue of religious freedom, they, they're they not excited for, for Governor Brownback. They're excited for Senator Brownback to be taking over Right, and let's just be clear. The, the legislative jobs are different than executive jobs. It's being a senator is a different thing from being a governor. I'm not sure he completely understood that going in. But it's harder to dislike a senator who is one of 100 and you can't really blame for uh, you know, in isolation for problems as opposed to a governor who takes all the heat when things go south. So uh, I think we give him credit for that career, for his audacity, for his courage, but his judgment and stubbornness brought him down or right. brought him to this point. And now he moves on to yet another career. Thanks, guys, for talking over this very interesting man who had such an influence in Kansas. Okay. Thank you all for listening. You have been on Deep Background.